In the mid-90s, Namco decided to produce a video game as an experimental concept for a weapons space fighting game. The result spawned a franchise that has lasted 27 years and sold over 17 million copies. Best known perhaps for being one of the earliest fighting games to really delve into its fighters' histories, Soul Edge was released to the world as an arcade cabinet in December of 1995. And today, we're going to learn all about it. How it was made, those character histories, like everything, man. So stick around and join us for today's trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you healthy and well. Hello and welcome to the 119th episode of our video game history podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we'll tell you the story about one topic relevant to this week, this current week in gaming history. It could be a game, it could be a console, it could be a person, just has to be relevant to the week. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about said thing, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. This week, it's a game! Yay! Woo! We're looking back at Soul Edge, originally released as an arcade cabinet in December of 1995. I'm going to guess that Soul Edge may sound kind of familiar to some people, but you're kind of going, eh, what's that? Well, we'll learn today. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who has spent his life searching for the ultimate sword. He's my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, what exactly are you looking for? Well, Dave, it has to look good, feel good, and do good. Uh, you know, yeah, I that actually fits the theme for today, so bravo. Um, do good. If there's anything to take away from that, ladies and gentlemen, do good. That should be that should be your model for every day. <laughs> Rob, what you been playing lately? Well, Dave, I've been playing some RuneScape, some Rocket League, some Risk of Rain 2, some DMZ, some Tarkov. Uh, and I think that's it. Yeah. How about yourself? I believe Risk of Rain, Rocket League, and Warzone DMZ. I think that's all I've had time for this week. I can't recall anything else. So we'll just go with that. Um, we'll just go with that. Alrighty. Soul Edge. Do you know Soul Edge at all? Uh, I've not played it, but I know that it's the sequel to a series that I have played a lot of. Prequel. Did I say sequel? My bad. Yes, it is a prequel to a game series that I have played the hell out of. It, it's, it's not technically a prequel. It's technically the first game in the series. Well, okay. It's the precursor to oh, that's more what apt, I am yeah. familiar with. Because there are six Soul Calibur. It's a Soul Calibur series. So there are six of them, and technically there are, they can, like, officially there are seven games in the main series, so. 
Um, and this would be one of them. And then like four or five spinoffs. Have you ever played any of the weird ones? I cannot say that I have. No, I've just played the you know main Soul Calibur titles. But you are a Soul Calibur fan, right? That is correct. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, today we're going to learn about where Soul Edge comes from. It's has a real simple background. It was developed by Namco. It was basically an experiment to explore the possibilities of a weapon-based fighting game. In the history of video games, it's only a, the second weapons-based video game ever. Uh, it was preceded a few years by Battle Arena Tashiden, and Battle Arena did pretty well, so Namco decided they wanted to throw their hat in the field. So they put... A relatively new developer in charge of this experiment. His name was Hiroaki Yotoroyama. Did I get that right? Sure. Yotoriyama. Yotoriyama? Eh, whatever. Yotoriyama worked within Namco Development Division 1 for only a few short years up until that point. He had started with Namco on a sports arcade title called Mock Breakers. It was a sequel to a game called Newman Athletics. These are Japanese titles that are going to be foreign to the majority of our listeners. And then after Mock Breakers, he was assigned to Tekken 2. Now, Tekken, we know. You Tekken, you, have you played Tekken? We played Tekken 3, didn't we? Uh, 3, 4, uh, probably 2, definitely. Um, I mean, I'm sure 1 as well. So I played you know at least the first few titles in Tekken. So Tekken... Tekken 2 and Soul Edge, our topic for today, they were all developed on an arcade cabinet with hardware called the Namco System 11. Now, System 11 is is kind of interesting. The design for it started back in 93 when Namco's research managing director, uh, Shigechi Nakamura, met with the head of Sony Computer Entertainment, who we've talked about, Ken Kutaragi, uh, basically, they, they met to talk about the specifications for the PlayStation. Uh, Sony was making the PlayStation at the time. It was really in its early phases because uh, PlayStation came out in 95, but they, they met to talk about it. And so Namco took what they brought back from that. Sony and Namco had a good relationship. And based on the prototype specs that were discussed in that meeting, Namco decided to design the System 11 arcade board completely on the PlayStation hardware. Now, this was risky because the PlayStation hardware was technically inferior to majority of the other arcade cabinets out there that were being developed at the time. Their biggest competitor was called the Sega Model 2, and the Sega Model 2, among other things, was used to power Virtual Fighter 2, which was a 3D uh, fighting game that, I mean, it was, when Virtual Fighter came out, it kind of blew everyone away because it was one of the early like 3D polygonal games um, in that respect. But the System 11 had the advantage because it was lower hardware, because it was a PlayStation, it was significantly lower in cost, which meant that it was... You know, it was more profitable, more profitable for Namco to use, more profitable for other people to use. And it had one other advantage. 
When Namco started to port all of their arcade cabinet titles over to the PlayStation, they were able to boast that the PlayStation version was an identical conversion to the arcade version. That wasn't, you know, typically when a game came went from arcade to the consoles, there was typically a performance loss, and that's what they were known for. But because the this arcade cabinet and the PlayStation were virtually identical, I mean, it was a straight port. They, they didn't really lose, you know? Um, so they had that going for them, uh, which was kind of rare at the time. Um, and, and, you know, it paid off, uh, Tekken and Soul Edge are highly regarded. They're typically on lists of some of the best fighting games of all time. Some of the best games of all time, um, you know, Soul Edge and other games in the series and their ports rate rate very highly as well so you know there was a lot of technology that went into creating soul edge aside from being created from you know the board that it was made on was from prototype playstation hardware soul edge was also the first motion capture game created using passive optical system markers now you've probably seen passive motion capture at least once in your life it's where all the actors, they're wearing those body suits that are covered with a ton of rubber balls. The the white, the rubber balls, they're covered in reflective tape. But they look like white round balls. Um, that's early motion capture. And that is passive. And like I said, Solidge was the first game ever to use it. Um, which is kind of fascinating. Not kind of, it is fascinating. Now there are other types of motion capture. And before anyone calls me out on it. The other types of motion capture were used uh, to, you know, to, to do motion capture in earlier video games. And in case you're curious about what those might be, in 1988, there was a video game called Vixen. Um, it was like a female version of Rygar, and they used motion capture to animate the main character. And also in 1988, motion capture was used to digitize sprites. Uh, while creating a fighting arcade cabinet, which is called the Last Apostle Puppet Show. Kind of interesting. That's definitely a, a very interesting name there. <clears throat> well, what in heavens could it be about? It was just a fighting game that had decent art, thanks to the method that they, they used. It didn't really make a splash beyond that. It was good-looking, but notoriously poor controls. The hitboxes weren't great. The controls weren't tight. So, I mean, it never made it as a, you know, a popular fighting cabinet because that's what's important when you have a fighting game, you know? Right. So Soul, Soul Edge as a motion capture game really gets mixed into the era, I mean, where right where it is in the mid-90s, um, where games were really just starting to use it frequently. Virtual Fighter, which we just talked about, famously used 3D motion capture technology, you know, to, cre to create its games. So everyone was, everyone was just, uh, just working on it. So they took the people and they took the motion capture technology and they work on Soul Edge and they complete it and they release it to the world in December of 95. Not, not a whole lot to that story. But one of the draws to Soul Edge is that it was, one of the first fighting games to really flesh out his characters. You know, each character had detailed stories. You learn what their motivations were. 
you learn why they were fighting for this sword. That's the concept of Soul Edge. You're fighting for the sword, the Soul Edge. And since the story was the main draw, I thought it would be more apt today to revisit some of the motivations and look at the design of some of the characters specifically. So with that being said, for starters, let's kind of review the overall plot of Soul Edge. As a game, it's a fighting game. You know, we've, we've talked about other fighting games in the past. We've covered Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat. It, it's a fighting game, one-on-one fighting game. So not much in terms of gameplay. But like I said, the story, the plot, that's kind of the draw. Soul Edge takes place way back in 1583. And it tells the tale of a bunch of warriors who are searching for the ultimate sword called the Soul, Ed- Soul Edge. Uh, Soul Edge has a storied history, disappeared for a long time. And it has recently reappeared in an auction in the form of a twin pair of long swords. And well, everybody wants it for their own reasons. So they're here. They're fighting over it. And let's look at some of these motivations. So again, Soul Edge is the first in the series, but there have actually been seven games now. So Rob, I thought that we could we could kind of focus on... There have been four characters who have been in all seven games. You've played a Soul Calibur game or two. So do you know... Can you guess, out of your knowledge of Soul Calibur, any of the four that were in have been in every single one? Uh, I'm gonna have to say Void. Void? No. No. Is it? Mm. Sorry, no, that's not the name. Uh, Valdo. Valdo. That's the guy with the the claws. Yeah, yeah. The creepy no, walking dude creepy who walks walking. on his back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Valdo is. Um, not he and he doesn't have claws. He's got dual hand. Eh, they're kind of claws. They're guitars. They're basically I think. sickles. Sickles. Yeah, they so, always look like they came out of his hand. So you so, know, it's like some Freddy Krueger looking shit. So yeah, so Valdo's one of them. Valdo was the right hand man of an Italian's weapon merchant Virchi, who's also known as the Merchant of Death. He desired Soul Edge to form part of his collection of rare weapons. And Valdo was the head of his expeditions to search for the sword. He contracted the services of other characters, who I'm not going to name yet because they're on this list. We'll get there in a second. And um, they all went all off on sale to find the Soul Edge, basically. So as a character, Valdo's weapons were dual-hand guitars. They were designed to be unique, which they definitely are. He's a unique character, too. They were designed to be unique amongst all the other weapons of the game. So they were actually what his character was designed around. The weapons came first. His character design, the concept, the story, all of that was worked around the weapons, actually. Hmm. During his development, they considered other alternate designs of him, which is kind of funny because you talked about like creepy backwards ring lady type guy. They, they thought about turning him into a balding long man with a goatee, um, a rich nobleman wielding a guitar on his right hand and a sickle on his left. So it went through some phases, but in the end, they picked, they picked the right-hand man of the Weapon of Death. But I find him really interesting because he started out as a, just a, a pair of... Uh, they're like, we want to use that weapon, and we're going to design this whole guy around it, you know? Yeah, that is pretty good. All right. Who else you think has been in all seven? Well, how about this? So I told you that Valdo, and you're probably going to know because you played the later games, Valdo uh, was was 
he basically contracted the services of one of the other characters who's been around for all seven games. Who do you think that is? That would be Cervantes de Leon. Yes, it is Cervantes. Now, something fascinating about Cervantes, we consider him being in all seven games, but he actually wasn't in the first version of this game. There are two arcade arcade cabinets that exist out there, version one and version two. Version one obviously was the first, and then version two came out a few months later with some, some changes to it. And Cervantes wasn't actually in version one. He wasn't introduced until version two. Um, but he was technically in Soul Edge and, you know, so he's considered having been in all four, uh, seven rather. Now, Cervantes was a privateer. He was sent on a mission by the King of Spain to loot, to loot in the name of Spain. And basically there was an attack on the warship that killed the King and Cervantes basically just said, hey, I'm, I'm not going to be allegiant to this anymore and became a pirate. And he was hired as a pirate to find the Soul Edge, which we already kind of know that side of. Yeah. Now, during development, they considered different designs for Cervantes too. He was considered to be a clean-shaven man with long hair tied in a ponytail. Basically, they wanted him to be more of a nobleman pirate instead of what he turned into. Um... He once had a, uh, a trim mustache and white hair. He was a tall male. They gave him a blue coat, like a tail coming down. Had fancy white gloves, large hat. He had leather armor. He 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 basically, they just, they took him. Originally, they were going to make him like like a nobleman. I mean, like a, like a king, like a, someone who works for the king should be. And then they kind of roughed him up a little bit, I guess, huh? Yeah, I wonder what the difference in direction there was. What reasoning? I couldn't find that, honestly. I will tell you one thing that's really fascinating. So his design, he was designed to orient your eye, the player's eye, to the left. So if you look at the way he looks in the game, uh, his hat is angled in a specific direction. His clothing all orients one way. For whatever reason, I couldn't find, but I did find this little tidbit in an interview he was like I said. He was designed to orient the viewer's eye toward to the left. Huh. Yeah, kind of fascinating. That's pretty damn cool, actually. All right, two more. Any any of the others you think you got? Uh, I'm gonna guess nightmare. So nightmare actually was and wasn't in the original. So again, before someone catches me, well, no, not nightmare. No, no, no. Nightmare was not in Nightmare was not in it. However, Nightmare is somebody else who is Nightmare. Right. Nightmare is the knight. I'm having trouble remembering his name right now, but he's corrupted by the Soul Edge. Yeah, so he's Siegfried. So Siegfried, that's the one, yes. So Siegfried is a sixteen year old former child of Frederick Stoffen. Stoffen? Stoffen. We'll go with that. A brave knight in the Holy Roman Empire of the German nation following the Italian Wars. He was named by his mother after the legendary dramatic hero Sigurd. And so, and so Siegfried joins a, bag of brig- a band of brigands called the Schwarzwind after his father had left on a foreign crusade, only to unintentionally kill his father returning during an ambush. Driven insane by this act, he convinced himself that someone else was to blame for his father's death thus embarking on a journey to find the legendary weapon known as the Soul Edge and use it to take revenge. So yeah, spoiler alert, 
as part of the story, he gets the Soul Edge, he becomes corrupted by the Soul Edge, and in Soul Calibur, the second game in the series, he, I, if I'm, you can play as Siegfried, but you can also play as his corrupted version, which is Nightmare. Now, Nightmare kind of does actually appear here in Soul Edge, but not in the arcade versions. So in the home versions, the ports, there was an extra character named Siegfried with an exclamation point um, that was added as an unlockable character. And the early version of Siegfried in this, as this version, has crimson armor, and he has a really flesh-like design. Um, they kind of designed him as, as if he was part of the Soul Edge itself. But they added the character, but they didn't give it no story, no special end to ending, and no special move set. So, um, yeah, they just did something weird with his body design, I guess. All right, one more, one more character. I cannot think. No. All right, it's so Yoda, it's, ain't it? No, it's not Yoda. It's Hashiro. Yeah. It's it's Mitis, it's Mitsurugi. So, mm, for some reason, that current that currently is not remembering or ringing a bell to my head. So Hashiro Mitsurugi is an orphaned son of a Japanese farmer who, after suffering years of witnessing his homeland being ravaged by bandits and wars, decides to take up sports sort sort sportsmanship, sportsmanship, swordsmanship. Yeah, do it. At the age of fourteen, having picked up a sword and the last name Mitsurugi. He went to train under the Murakami clan. Um, he was known as a great warrior, raised Bruce through the ranks, but all he really wanted was a worthy opponent. Um, so he left the clan, continued to fight in Japanese civil war as a mercenary. Um, and then basically there was a battle. He watched people get obliterated and decided that he wanted to find a stronger weapon for himself, which was a magical sort of legend called the soul edge. Now, he was designed to be the character who naturally plays the most like a samurai. And he was actually inspired by a real-life swordsman named Miyamoto Musashi. So, really fascinating, because I don't know much about Musashi, so I learned, so we're going to learn today. Miyamoto Musashi was a swordsman, philosopher, strategist, writer, and ronin, who became renowned through stories of his unique double-bladed swordsmanship and undefeated record in 61 duels. Wow. So one interesting story I found related to Musashi tells of his duel with another renowned swordsman, uh, Sasaki Kojiro, in 1611. So on the day of the duel, Musashi left Kojiro waiting. Like, the duel was scheduled for 8 a.m., and the story goes, you know, Musashi got up and, and, and his servants tended to him. He had a full breakfast and he didn't uh, he didn't show up until hours later. And then they agreed to meet on an island, just them. And when they showed up, the island was, of course, full of people. Hmm. So nice. so Kajero is all, all angry because, you know, he has an audience and he's been made to wait. So, you know, it's it's an island. Um, as Musashi's going over there, he's bored. So apparently he carves a practice sword from, I don't know, something on the boat, driftwood. I don't remember what it is. And then when he arrives, Kojiro basically dramatically throws his scabbard into the water. Now, this was a sign that he would not stop and that it was going to be a fight to the death. Musashi responded with a taunt of his own, saying that Kojiro clearly wasn't confident in himself and 
if he thought he'd never get a chance to use a fine scabbard again. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so as as the story wow. goes, so the two circle one another. Kojiro leaps towards Musashi with his trademark overhead strike. Musashi too has a trademark, you know, airstrike. So he jumps. He swings his weapon with a shout. The two sword strokes meet. Musashi's headband falls off, sliced by Kojiro's sword, but somehow only the headband was cut. Mus- uh, Kojiro, on the other hand, his skull was cleaved into two. Whoa. Yeah. It's got a cool story. And years later, he inspired a samurai-type character in a video game. So, Pretty damn good legacy to leave, I suppose. Yeah. So, I don't know Soul Edge. Um... I've played a few of the Soul Caliburs. I mean, if people have listened to this for a while, they know fighting's not my genre. I almost always play fighting games socially. I think Smash Brothers is probably the only fighting games I ever own. Otherwise, it's just a game that I play when I go somewhere and someone else wants to play it. I do remember I played a lot. Whatever one was on GameCube when I was in college. Um, three, four, somewhere in there, I'm thinking. Um, played a lot of it. It had that really cool story mode where, like, you could pick a path and stuff like that, though. Um, yeah. So you said you've played most of them? Of the Caliber series, yes. Even to the, the, the newest one? Well, I haven't played the newest one. I've played the original four, uh, f- with four being the most played, obviously, for me the 360 version with Yoda never did have the cool version with Darth Vader. Damn it. Hmm. PlayStation bastards. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I definitely played the first four pretty extensively growing up and, uh, it's didn't really play five or six just cause I haven't gotten around to buying them yet and no one really to play with anymore. Cause like you not playing fighting games. That's most of my friends with the soul caliber series. They're more into like smash brothers or, uh, shooters or something like that. But I've been very much enjoyed the first four played the campaign quite a lot. And yeah, I thought moves flowed very well. The graphics and those were great, but you know, I mean, you're talking about the newer ones, obviously soul edge is going to have been the start and I don't have any knowledge of those, but you know who actually does Hmm. critics. They do. They do. What do the critics think about the game? Well, Game Revolution said that expectations is the mother of all disappointment. And that's generally a true statement. For example, those late night binges at Denny's always leave a bit to be desired. Though it always seems like such a great plan in the car. Somehow, the pancakes look much better on the cover of the menu than in person as evidenced by the fact that people still order the $1.99 Grand Slam breakfast. Another example can be found in the world of sports. It is a well-known yet widely ignored fact that the Super Bowl almost always sucks. And we still expect it to be great. And we still find ourselves disappointed. What am I talking about? Frankly, I have no idea. But one thing is for certain. I expected quite a bit from Soul Blade slash Soul Edge. I expected stunning graphics. 
I expected fluid gameplay and easy-to-learn controls. I expected this game to be an impressive, ingenuitive, and innovative foray into the realm of 3D fighters. And this time, I was not disappointed. Having made quite a bit of noise in Japan, the first thing you'll notice about the game is the beginning. The intro sequence is really cool. The animation is superb, and it's only a small step away from live FMV. Graphically, the game is right up there with the best of them. The polygonal fighters move smoothly and realistically, without the jerkiness found in Battle Arena Tashinden. Each fighter has separate outfits, differing mainly in design and color. The backgrounds are strange and look good. You fight one battle on a raft careening down a river, light sources affecting the appearance of the fighters. Motion blurs follow powerful attacks. This is just a good-looking game. And a good-sounding one, too. The sound effects are precise, with the clanging, crashing, and banging of weapons as they ferociously bash, bash against each other. There are three separate modes of music to choose from, meaning each screen has three different possible music selections. The only bummer sound-wise is the annoying voice that announces the victor at the end of each fight. There are a few minor problems with the game, though. While I am not any more aggressive than your typical bloodthirsty 20-something repscallion, I like my violence. And this is a fighting game, and the fighters are hacking away at each other with often gruesome weapons. Some bloodshed seems inevitable. Yet there is absolutely no bleeding. That's right. A strictly PG thing. But simply put, Soul Edge is by far the best fighter out there at the moment. While it doesn't do anything revolutionary, it's a damn good game that any fighting game fan should definitely buy. There was, uh, he referred to it as Soul Blade when they ported Soul Edge over to the PlayStation in North America and Europe. I think they renamed it Soul Blade. And I believe in Japan, too. Well, obviously, the Japanese um, translation of that. But it was once it was ported to console as opposed to the arcade, from what I had read during my research. I actually think that it was Japan was the only place that it never changed its name. Um, Maybe I'm wrong. I swear when I looked it up, it showed Japan was released a soul late as well. Hmm. But maybe I just missaw what I thought. Mm, nope. Just North America, Europe, and Australia got soul soul blade. Okay. Well, prove me wrong, damn it. Also also I had to look up which version of Soul Calibur I put the most time into, and GameCube definitely was two. So ah. three was only a PlayStation title, it never made it onto the GameCube. Yeah, that, that that would make sense. I did have, you know, PlayStation 2 and friends with the 3, but it was that damn PS4, Xbox 360 era, mm -hmm. right? No, is that Xbox One? 360 would have been 3. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, 360 would have been 4. Oh. Um, it should have been 4. 3. So no, 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 I meant PlayStation 3 versus 4. Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 were same-gen consoles. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But those yeah, would have yeah. been Soul Calibur 4. 
they would have definitely been Soul Calibur 4. Soul Calibur 4 was definitely placed PS3 and 360. Yeah, so Soul Calibur 3 was PlayStation 2. Correct. Which is how I was able to have played that, but not 4 on the PlayStation 3, who had Darth Vader exclusive bastards. Mm. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Very confusing when you don't specify whether you're talking about Soul Calibur or PlayStation 3. Mm-hmm. 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 But Dave, back onto the topic of our critics... Game Revolution wasn't the only one who had great things to say about this game. Computer and Video Games said that arcade fans have been looking forward to the release of Soul Edge ever since the first pictures were released. When you see them for yourself, it's easy to appreciate why as the graphics are some of the most impressive ever in a beat-em-up. The game is essentially a Tekken-style fighting game involving weapons and not just ordinary weapons. These are mad weapons. For example, Rock, the fur-wearing warrior, carries around one of the most enormous axes ever seen. The biggest new feature is the control method. Rather than going for the three-button VF control, the six-button SF control, five-button MK control, or the four-button Tekken control, the designers have created a new load of controls, again featuring four buttons. They are guard, vertical, horizontal, and kick. It's fairly obvious how the guard button works, as well as the kick, but the two style of weapon hit work in a way alien to beat em up players. Though they've got fairly opposite titles, the two buttons aren't often at all that different, offering various levels of attacks and specials. The stick is also used in a different way to many arcade games, as tapping down than up will sidestep the character one way, and up than down sidesteps the other. The characters still jump in crouch as usual, by holding up or down. Now while this all sounds a bit dull, there are some totally fantastic and original characters that make up for it. Like Valdo. A strange character with rotating blades for hands. Pulling off the special moves is fairly standard in that it uses pad rolls, joystick taps, and button pushes, meaning that there are loads of possibilities. Sadly, there has to be at least one downside, and in Soul Edge, it's the speed. The game is far slower than Tekken or Virtual Fighter 2 when it's being played normally, but the slowdown is particularly noticeable when pulling off a combo. If three or four buttons are hit in sequence, the character will take a few seconds to pull off the three or four attacks, completely ruining the feeling of really controlling the characters that is found in Street Fighter Alpha, for example. The graphics are totally incredible, not only in still pictures, but when they are moving as well, as the items of clothing and other fine details glide around as though they were very real, as it were. The fancy lighting effects also add to create one of the best-looking arcade games at the moment. But, overall, it is a bit of a letdown. So they had a lot to say that was really good about it, but in the end, it doesn't seem like they were telling everyone to go out and play it, like our uh, friends here over at Game Revolution. So No, they definitely weren't in love with it. It's kind of interesting to see the differing sides of things. It was definitely a lot harder to find those differing... Uh, opinions with our users um most of their reviews were pretty positive for this game 
Um, we have first up here user Attila from Moby Games, who said that the character, the story modes, and the different costumes are all good. The coolest feature was the weapons. You get different weapons with different abilities. And the multiplayer was interesting. When asked if there was anything bad, they said nothing. It was great. And especially, they liked the secret characters, Dave. Ooh, secret characters. Yeah, I didn't know about any secret characters, so they must have been pretty damn good secrets. Must have been pretty damn good secrets. <laughs> <laughs> but next up, we have user Zombie Depot, also from Moby Games, who was referencing the Soul Blade re- release during the early PlayStation era, a time when all PlayStation graphics lacked in quality. Soul Blade, however, still manages to have some of the best graphics, even better than some of the later PlayStation games. There's so many modes built into this game, and the storyline is excellent. You can go into Edge Master mode and find new weapons for the characters. Each character has their own unique ending movie. The Edge Master mode tells you what happened to the character on their journey. The game seems to focus around a mythical sword called Soul Edge, and each character has their own weapon and reason for looking for the sword. Some want power. Others want to destroy it. They did mention that practice mode does not allow for two players to be in at the same time. And knocking a weapon out of someone's hand is unrealistic. Once it's knocked out of your hand, you cannot retrieve it. You're limited to a ring. And for an epic battle searching for the most powerful sword in the world, the tournament just seems too organized. But if you don't mind unrealistic sword fighting you should try Soul Blade. If you're looking for an ultra-realistic sword dueling simulation, you won't find it. But Zombie finishes by saying that they've owned it since the first release, and they're still finding things out about it. It is by far the best game on PlayStation. The best game on PlayStation, huh? I mean, that's, that's what Zombie seems to feel. I mean... I could think of a couple others that I would personally enjoy more than that, like Grand Theft Auto, San Andreas, or... I mean, I guess it depends. If it's the original PlayStation, we'd have to be talking to Crash Bandicoot or Spyro the Dragon. Um, Resident Evil. Or that, you know, the original Gran Turismo. Oh, um, that's a good one, too. But, you know, to eat, everyone has their own game, and for Zombie, it is Soul Blade. To each their own. To each their own, Dave. But that's all that I have for reviews today. So why don't we kick it off with the legacy of this game? What did it do? What did it bring to us? Uh, You know, it, it popularized weapon-based games, though there really hasn't been too many others since then because this one's kind of the king of them, you know? Absolutely. I'd, I'd say that a, other fighting games have maybe tried to integrate weapons into there. You can pick up weapons in some games, but there really hasn't been too many other weapons-based fighters that have stuck around, you know? I don't think any, really. Can you think of any? Mm, trying to think about it at the moment. And, I mean, obviously you have some, like, special weapons that are showing up in games like Mortal Kombat or things, but they're not in the same sense that they are in this series. So, no, I cannot think of it. I'm sure that there's going to be many out there and people are going to flame us. But in the mainstream, the ones that we have played many times or are familiar with in the moment... No. Yeah. 
So, of course, Soul Edge started the Soul Calibur franchise because, of course, the sequel came out in 98 a few years later, and that was called Soul Calibur. And every game ever since has been a Soul Calibur title from 1 through 6. So I guess in a way this is a prequel to Soul Calibur, but it, it's technically... I mean, it's by definition the Soul Calibur series, and this is considered game one in the series, however you want to look at it. And admittedly, I thought about talking about some of the others, but like, Soul Calibur in itself really deserves its own episode. You know, it's pretty much on every list for greatest fighting games ever made. Uh, it's, it's on list for greatest video games ever made, period. It's like the fourth best ranked game on Metacritic with like a 96 or 98 or something ridiculous. Um, so it'd be worth looking at separately. Um, but like we said, the Soul Calibur series now has six games with including this, there's seven and there've been a few spinoffs. You have Soul Calibur legends, which was a action adventure game that pretty much mostly featured Ivy and Siegfried. I think you have uh, broken destiny, lost swords and breakable soul released one of those as a mobile game I'm, I'm pretty sure unbreakable souls is a mobile game uh and all the sales between all of these by about 2021 they've sold about 17 million units worldwide of soul caliber titles so it's a i mean it's a decently successful series up until this point you know um i mean and it has other media like series like this do there are guidebooks there are art books there have been Comics, uh, Chinese comics produced for the series. What do they call those? Manhwas? Manhwas? Don't they have a special name? I'm not even going to justify that with an answer. What are they called? It's not manga. That's not what I'm... It's manga. It's not manga. It's... Yeah. No, Chinese comics have a specific oh, name. Oh, you said Chinese? Sorry, I thought you said Japanese. No, no, no. No, no, no. That's that's why I'm not familiar with it, because Japanese oh. is all the place. But Chinese comics have a specific name that I'm not as familiar with. Uh, yeah, anyways, no, I, don't, I would not know the Chinese one. I only know the Japanese one because they're, you know, pretty everywhere. Common. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they've tried to get a film adaption going of Soul Edge, um, of Soul Calibur, rather, since this, I don't know, early 2000s. But it has never, I mean, like, it's been in development hell languishing forever. And the website hasn't been updated in forever. So who who knows? You know what I mean? Who knows? Indeed. Who knows, Dave? But, I mean, they, they keep making them, and they keep doing well. So we'll keep playing them. Well, I'm not going to play them. I don't really ever play them anymore. <laughs> I'm sure that I'm going to play them. So it's just uh, a matter of time. And I'm sure I'll talk you into it, too. Let's be honest here. I, I talk you into playing a lot of games, usually. Maybe. Maybe. But it was a really successful title when Soul Edge came out. It was um, the second highest-selling arcade game in Japan the month it came out. It was the one of the top five highest-grossing arcade kits of 1996. But, you know, one of the things that it notes is that it wasn't able to achieve the same level of arcade success as Tekken. And that's a probably a good point because I remember playing the hell out of Tekken in arcades when that came out, which is probably why I don't know this as well, because I would have gravitated to Tekken every time like everyone else, you know? 
Right. And yeah, then they, they brought it over to PlayStation and it did really well. And the rest is kind of history, man. Now, the people who made this didn't really make anything else. They, they're called Team Soul and like the producer. All he's ever worked on is the is the Soul Calibur series. And um, and and so they keep making these games and they keep printing money for Namco. And that's really all that there is to it. You know, bing, bang, boom, bada, bang. And we're done. Bing, bang, boom, bada, bam. Yeah. You know, you know what, though? We have, we have covered... I mean, this is just one of a really awesome genre of fighting games. We've covered a few others. We did an uh, episode previously on Street Fighter. And I we did an episode on Mortal Kombat a long time ago when we were more topic-based. And we talked about Mortal Kombat as it pertained to censorship and video games. I remember that episode. That was a fun episode. Uh, if you'd like to check out these other episodes, you can do so by going to our website at www.memorycardlane.com. Also, memorycardlane.com, you can find a calendar of upcoming events, although really only has four more weeks because I have to uh, make the calendar for 2023. It has our bios, it has a link to our Discord, and it has links to where you can find our social media I am on various platforms as David is wrong. And Rob, where can people find you on social media these days? I am on twitch.tv forward slash F-A-T-B-O-I-R-I-P-Z. Awesome. Well, each week we tell you the story about one game relevant to the current week in gaming history. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about it. We hope to teach you something about its inspiration, what it took from the world, or its legacy, what it gave back to the world. Um, while doing so we learn things that's actually the best part about doing this week in week out it is genuinely a pleasure to be able to learn new things so part of our commitment to that process is we like to tell you what we learned so rob what did you learn today well dave i think honestly the most interesting thing that i had to have learned is that one of the characters specifically mitsurugi is based off of a real live person um, I mean, obviously you have some characters in games that you could say, yes, it's based off of this real life person, but I mean, there's not a ton of them that jump out. Um, and it's always kind of cool to hear how they took someone's life and adapted it to a character, even if it's just a minor similarity. I mean, obviously samurai existed all around the world and well, you know, I can't say world, but they existed and there were numerous ones. Um, it could have been based on any of them. But it's cool that you actually have them saying this is who it's based on and knowing that there's a story behind it. True. So I think that for me, that 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 would probably be the most uh, impressive thing or the most interesting thing that I learned. Uh, how about yourself? You know, that was probably my favorite part of the research because, you know, I'm a history geek and I like digging into that. And I... I don't know. There's something really interesting about getting to read the different tales of, uh, you know, a swordsman who won what 61 or so i think it was duels mm-hmm. um and then his most famous story is where he's just he's like a little ass you know what i mean like i'm just gonna eat my breakfast and then i'm gonna take my time getting to the island and then i'm gonna i'm gonna whittle this this practice sword because i'm bored oh i'm so bored and then he gets there and the guy's like here I'm going to throw my scabbard into the ocean because i don't need it anymore this is now a fight to the death and the guy's like Huh, well, 
can't be thinking too highly of yourself if you never think you ever get to use that scabbard again, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, like, it's just funny. And then, of course, you know, the fight's the fight. He gets up and he gets his, his uh, and it's typical, like, movie, right? Like, they both go up and they leap at one another and I can just see it with this long camera. They're panning and, ah, and sword swing and you don't hear anything. And then you see the guy's uh, headband slowly slide off his head, you know, and maybe even for, for dramatic effect, a little bead of blood appears and, mm-hmm. like, you know, goes r- runs down his face. And then, you know, camera pans the other guy and his skull is just cleaved in two. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, it was, it was really interesting, but there was, there was other things that I didn't really know about this. I didn't know that this was one of the first, you know, earliest motion capture games. Um, it makes a whole lot of sense with the time period in which this was created because that's when they were really just starting to use motion capture. And it makes sense that it would be used early on in, in a fighting game since the motions on those are probably a lot more, they're, they're, there are a lot more motions to a fighting game than like a, a platformer. So it's a lot more complex to create things. Cause you know, a platformer, you just pretty much have to create a running motion and a jumping motion. I mean, in later games, you maybe get like a, like a grab a ledge and climb up motion and sword motion, shooting motions, things like that. But I mean, realistically, they're not nearly as complex as a fighting game, which has jumps and rolls and, weapons swinging and blocking and and you know soul caliber or soul edge is one of the first games that allowed you to sidestep and give you like a false sense of i mean this was a false sense of 3d i think soul caliber is when they developed the eight way which it's famous for where you can move in eight directions but yeah there's just so many so many fascinating things that i didn't know I didn't know. Like this was a little little block, little black hole in my history. Heck, I probably couldn't even told you that Soul Edge, pre- you know, was part of Soul Calibur before I, I looked it up for the purposes of 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 learning, you know, when we were picking topics last year. So, whole bunch of stuff to to bring in here, and I hope that, I hope that all of our listeners w- took something away from it too. So, absolutely, Dave. I hope the same. All right, Rob. Well, I think that'll about sum it up for Soul Calibur. So before we take it out of here, is there anything you'd like to add? Well, as always, I do want to take one quick moment to say thank you to everyone for listening. It means the world to us, and we hope that you get some enjoyment out of it. And if you do, please tell us about it. It's always wonderful having someone come up to you and let you know that they're giving a listen by maybe just presenting you with some pretty cool game memorabilia. Uh, or, you know, just a quick message on some of the social medias. We love hearing from you. So please do reach out and let us know what you think. Awesome. Well, next week, Rob, we're going to take a look at one of actually our second, third one of the year, another one of the Nintendo's commercial failures, this time in the form of a peripheral add-on for the Nintendo 64. The Nintendo 64 DD was a floppy disk drive released for, released for Nintendo 64 in 1999. It was talked up as an amazing piece of technology for a new generation of users. But was the end result everything that it was supposed to be? Was it cutting-edge technology, and if so, why did it fail? We'll, we'll answer these questions some more next week. So join us again, same time, same place, as we take another dynamic trip down memory card lane. Do the thing. 
Scooby-Doo, da, da, moo, ah.